You're listening to the Cyberwire Network, powered by N2K. and the UK warn of impending Russian cyber attacks and Russia responds with warnings against banditry, crime, and bad manners. CISA issues two new ICS advisories. Microsoft confirms a lapsus gang incident and so does Okta. Our guest is Tom Gaffney from F-Secure with some ways to reduce digital anxiety. SecureWorks takes a look at the criminal ecosystem around Conti and Josh Ray from Accenture talks about the cyber workforce. The CyberWire Studios at Data Tribe. I'm Dave Bittner with your CyberWire summary for Wednesday, March 23rd, 2022. U.S. President Biden's warning Monday that Russia was likely to engage in cyber attacks against the U.S. continues to draw attention. Deputy National Security Advisor Ann Neuberger clarified the president's statement, quote, As the president has said, the United States is not seeking confrontation with Russia, but he has also said that if Russia conducts destructive cyber attacks against critical infrastructure, we will be prepared to respond, end quote. National Security Advisor Jake Sullivan discussed some of the implications such an attack might have for NATO's collective defense agreement, quote, we could see circumstances wherein which a collective response by the alliance to a cyber attack would be called by an ally. That is absolutely something we and other countries could bring capacities to bear to help a country both defend itself and respond to a particular cyber attack. End quote. The FBI reports seeing signs of battle space preparation against U.S. energy providers and the U.S. Cybersecurity and Infrastructure Security Agency continues to recommend that organizations take appropriate precautions. The U.S. has emphasized the importance of taking basic steps to improve cyber defenses and organizational resilience, Federal News Network's reports. Quote, There is evolving intelligence that Russia may be exploring options for cyber attacks against the United States. CISA Director Jen Easterly told a session with critical infrastructure operators and stakeholders yesterday, quote, There is evolving intelligence that Russia may be exploring options for cyber attacks against the United States. Her comments came at the beginning of a three-hour session that CISA was quick to make public. That's not, as Easterly commented, exactly shocking news, but she emphasized the importance of taking appropriate precautions against such attacks. In an apparent nod to the military proverb that those who defend everything defend nothing, she said that CISA was focusing on the lifeline sectors, that is, communications, transportation, energy, water, and financial services. That last sector is of particular concern, Easterly said, because it seems a likely target for Russian retaliation for the heavy sanctions most of the world has imposed on Moscow for its war of aggression against Ukraine. We've been working very hard here at CISA to reach across sectors, but we're really focusing right now uh, on what we call the lifeline sectors. So uh, specifically the communication sector, the transportation sector, the energy sector, the water sector, uh, and then of course the financial services sector, just given 
uh, the concerns about potential retaliatory attacks for the very severe sanctions that the U.S. and our partners have imposed on Russia. So the public U.S. response to the Russian cyber threat is essentially expressed by CISA's Shields Up alert. The U.K.'s National Cybersecurity Center has seconded the White House warning, quote, In heightened periods of international tension, all organizations should be vigilant to cyber risks. And for several months, the NCSC has been advising organizations to bolster their cybersecurity. The NCSC has already published actionable guidance for organizations to reduce their risk of cyber compromises, while the NCSC are unaware of specific targeted threats to the UK resulting from Russia's illegal invasion of Ukraine, we recommend organizations follow this advice as a priority. End quote. That published guidance has much in common with CISA's Shields Up. Reuters quotes Kremlin spokesperson Dmitry Peskov as saying, quote, The Russian Federation, unlike many Western countries, including the United States, does not engage in state-level banditry. End quote. His contention, of course, is both pro forma and absurd. Russian privateering and direct state cyber attacks have been notorious narratives in cyberspace for two decades. Andrei Krushtik, a diplomat with a background in arms control who presently serves as director of the Russian Foreign Ministry's Department of International Information Security, struck a more statesmanlike tone than did Mr. Peskov. In an interview with Newsweek, Mr. Krushtik pointed out the way in which cyberspace had become an international commons and the importance of all sides working together to secure its beneficial use for all. He said, quote, Modern life is impossible without information and communications technologies. They determine our well-being, security, and survival. Relying on them, we can become richer or lose all our savings. They are transboundary and almost almighty. Amidst this reality, the main task is not to frighten each other with digital means, but to try to reach agreements before it's too late. End quote. He said that cyber attacks were particularly likely to drive escalation of any conflict. Quote, a cyber attack, be it accidental or intended, including one perpetrated under false flag, can easily trigger escalation between states, leading to a full-scale confrontation. Ensuring international information security, therefore, becomes one of the key factors that directly influence strategic stability. End quote. Mr. Kruske pointed with open-eyed innocence at the ways in which cybercrime had contributed to international mistrust. Quote, Hacker groups tend to target their activities at big businesses, banks, and financial institutions. Ensuring international information security, therefore, becomes one of the key factors that directly influence strategic stability. End quote. Elsewhere, Deputy Foreign Minister Sergei Ryabkov said Tuesday that Russo-American relations were at a breaking point. Quote, Yesterday, a note of protest was handed over to the American ambassador, noting that what was happening has put relations on the verge of breaking off. They must stop issuing threats against Russia, the they he's referring to being the Americans. CISA has fish to fry outside of Shields Up, of course. The U.S. Cybersecurity and Infrastructure Security Agency yesterday issued two Industrial Control System Security Advisories, both for products from Delta Electronics. Both Microsoft and Okta have confirmed that they were hit by the Lapsus gang. In Microsoft's case, Redmond said, Our investigation has found a single account had been compromised, granting limited access. 
Some company code was exfiltrated, but no customer data or code were affected. Okta's case is more complicated. The company, which will hold a webinar later today to discuss details of the incident, said, quote, The Okta service is fully operational, and there are no corrective actions our customers need to take. After a thorough analysis of these claims, we have concluded that a small percentage of customers, approximately 2.5%, have potentially been impacted and whose data may have been viewed or acted upon. We have identified those customers and are contacting them directly. End quote. Lapsus continues to claim, as the record and other sources report, that the effect on Okta was much more serious than the company's public statements suggest. According to Forbes, some of Okta's customers feel the company has been slow to inform them of potential problems. One customer, Cloudflare, which uses Okta's identity management solution for internal employee accounts, offers advice to other customers about how to respond to the possibility of compromise. And finally, SecureWorks finds useful information in recent leaks involving Conti and its affiliates, which comprise a mature cybercrime ecosystem across multiple threat groups with frequent collaboration and support. It's the kind of criminal ecosystem that could easily be used for those destabilizing operations Russia's been warning against. Every day, your IAM tech debt grows. Your multi-generational services struggle to work together. Building an identity fabric can fix this. It makes all your identity tooling stronger and allows you to connect any app to any service you want to use with zero coding, zero maintenance, and zero app downtime. Strata's identity orchestration platform separates the identity logic from your applications so you can optimize existing IAM tools and manage them in a single control plane. Now, every vendor, standard, and architecture work together. In short, building your identity fabric means you can secure your non-standard apps, keep your complex access policies, retire outdated IDPs, and modernize in record time. So build your fabric with Strata Identity and get rid of tech debt for good. Visit strata.io slash cyberwire, share your identity priorities, and receive a pair of AirPods Pro. Offer valid for organizations over 5,000 employees. Connect today at strata.io slash cyberwire. The IT world used to be simpler. You only had to secure and manage environments that you controlled. Then came new technologies and new ways to work. Now, employees, apps, and networks are everywhere. This means poor visibility, security gaps, and added risk. That's why Cloudflare created the first-ever connectivity cloud. Visit cloudflare.com to protect your business everywhere you do business. One of the side effects of the pandemic, combined with global and national political and economic situations, is an increase in a general sense of anxiety. I know I've felt it, and the term doom-scrolling is related to it, for sure. Researchers at F-Secure were curious about the phenomenon of digital anxiety, and they set out to gather facts and analyze the results. 
Tom Gaffney is principal consultant at the consumer division of F-Secure. Historically, it's really been looking at it from the angle of children. So there's obviously concerns from parents that kids have overexposure to digital devices or various social media uh, and not engaging necessarily with the real world. So lots of studies into that area. But because of the pandemic, we wanted to understand how that had affected the adults working from home instead of being in an office. Well, let's go through some of the things that you found out here uh, in the survey. What were some of the items that caught your eye? Well, the headline is that we found that across the board, people have concerns that that they are more stressed or suffer more anxiety online. Um, And the headline figure is that 58% of all respondents found that that was the case. But when you talk about people who've shifted from working uh, in a physical location in an office somewhere to working online, that rose up to 67%. That was probably the, the, the standout headline that we saw. And do you have any sense as to what's driving this? Why the the shift to, to working from home is increasing their anxiety about online security and privacy? Well, we for the answer to that, we, we turned to academics. Um, so we, we worked in conjunction with some academics in the UK um, and elsewhere. And they helped us derive a few conclusions from this. Probably the main one is the expectation that, that people are worried because uh, they are being thrust into new normal of home working without a lot of training or preparation. So typically, if you work for a company, you've got a computer or a phone, and they've got an IT department that take care of the security on that for you. But in the new normal, people are taking their devices and manage and, and are responsible for managing that security in a home environment. And most of us don't necessarily have the skills to set up um, home devices and home network that they've got the same kind of security strength that you would have in a corporate environment. So that that's that's brings in itself an element of stress as people wonder how and what kind of things they should do. And at the same time, um, we think that, or we know in fact, that there's, a, there's an increasing overlap when you are working all the time from home between what you're doing for work and what you're doing in your personal life. And these, these factors together uh, increase the, the anxiety. What can employers do to help put people at ease? What, what sort of things could they put in place? There's a lot of soft things that they can do. They can do training um, to give guidance to people on, on how to do uh, run the actual practical tools that they need for their security tools. And it gives guidance on how to use um, their devices. So, for example, we recommend that try and encourage some separation uh, between what you do in your work device, if you've got a, a work laptop or a work phone, and try and separate that from what you do uh, for your own personal things. So if you're browsing, shopping, using social media, try not to mix doing that on different, on the same device, because then that, that line between what you do for work and for your private life blurs even harder for people to separate. So we recommend highly that they have that kind of strength. And if companies want to go the extra mile, they can, as we see some companies globally around the world, use Volkswagen as an example. And they actually encourage or they, they mandate that Outside of working hours, they don't allow bosses to send messages to their staff. Now, this might not work for a small company, you know, under 10 uh, employees, but for larger corporations, they can take a lead and sort of help uh, employees have a, a separate boundary between what they do for work and what they do for private life. That's Tom Gaffney from F-Secure.
Are lengthy security reviews pulling attention away from your security program? With the largest network of trust centers, Vanta can help you streamline security reviews to win customer trust, save time, and close deals fast. Proactively demonstrate security by showcasing key resources like your SOC 2 or ISO 27001 and provide real-time evidence for passing controls. And when a security questionnaire is required, Vanta takes the first pass for you. Visit vanta.com cyber to take a self-serve tour. That's vanta.com cyber. And I'm pleased to be joined once again by Josh Ray. He is Managing Director and Global Cyber Defense Lead at Accenture Security. Josh, always great to welcome you back. Thank you, Dave. I want to check in with you today on where things stand in terms of our cybersecurity workforce. You know, we seem to be sitting at this moment, I think particularly right now with the situation going on in Ukraine, This moment highlights the fact that there's a whole lot of people out there who've been working really hard, and it's been a while since they've had breaks. Um, I suspect there are a lot of teams out there that are teetering on the edge of burnout. Oh, yeah. I think think to say they're well into burnout is is probably an understatement. Um, You know, I was just thinking about, you know, the amount of just global – activities that my team has had to be engaged in to uh, support clients, right? And just going as few years back as, you know, WannaCry, not Petya, the Salamini strikes, SolarWinds, Colonial, Casia, uh, uh, Elysium, um, you know, Log4j, Ukraine. I mean, I could go on and on, but, you know, all of these things, right, wrapped up under, you know, under the umbrella of a global pandemic, that, you know, these security practitioners are having to kind of deal with on a day-to-day basis, along with their regular jobs, on top of, you know, I'm sure multiple incidents that, you know, don't make it up into the into the news. You know, it's a massive amount of, of work that these folks are having to do, and they always have to be right. And it's a huge amount of pressure. So, you know, when we think about, like, how do we, how do we care and feed for that, that workforce— I mean, I think it's a really kind of a multi-pronged approach, and I don't think we've solved it by any stretch of the imagination. But we're taking a lot of different, a lot of different approaches to try to to try to get it right. Well, let's dig into that some. I mean, one thing that strikes me is, you know, having a deep enough bench that you can cycle folks in and out as as people need breaks. But you know, the flip side of that is we we have a shortage of qualified people, right? Right, and and you know, demand for services are incredibly high too. Right. So I think, you know, so there's, there's a couple of things. I mean, growing talent is one that you have to take kind of a long-term approach on, right? So how do you, how do you start them young? How do you go into the high schools or even the the middle schools and get kids excited about this idea of cybersecurity? And it's not so much that everybody needs to be, uh, have a, you know, have a programming background, but more along the lines of how do you, excite them about the mission? How do you get them excited about, you know, combating bad guys every day and really engender that uh, investigative mindset uh, within, you know, the the middle school and, and high school ranks and then start to kind of focus and train them on specifics. You know, there's massive amounts of disciplines just within security operations and cyber defense where, where we play 
but just across the whole uh, security landscape. So I would say, you know, kind of starting those programs young and, and kind of engaging the youth to build that next generation. Uh, and then I think, you know, we got to be more creative about how do we, how do we attract talent? Like the, you know, the computer science, you know, degree is great, but we've had a lot of success recruiting from a variety of different types of backgrounds, you know, whether that be some type of, uh, you know, history majors or religion majors or folks that have more of a, you know, a soft sciences background. Um, you're going to get a variety of different points of view. And I think it takes all kinds of, you know, diverse uh, thought to really, you know, help be successful within this mission space. What about specifically, you know, burnout, taking care of the people that you already have? Um, how, how do you, you know, you can, you can only hand out so many bonuses, right? <laughs> right. Yeah. And I mean, you know, anybody can go at, at this point in, in the industry and go make more money. Like that's mm-hmm. just a, it's just a known fact, but it's really about how do you engender that sense of belonging and culture and, and mission? That's something that we spend a lot of time on. And quite frankly, I think, you know, the pandemic has had, you know, a, really a, a dealt that a blow because this is a community of people that really likes to be around one another. And I'm not saying they have to, you know, work in an office nine to five every single day, but they need to be able to get together. They need that human interaction to really share ideas and, um, and just talk about what they do many times in their free time as well. Um, so we, I think we got to get back to, you know, in the safe, safest way possible, being able to work together um, and collaborate together, going back to conferences and kind of rebuild the culture of the security community. So that's one. And then secondly, the idea of recognition, right? Making sure that they're recognized for um, the work that they're doing. I think whether that's, you know, through different programs that HR can help you stand up. Um, but just as leaders, you know, making sure that we take time to reach out personally and say, hey, thanks. You know, you guys are doing a great job. And that goes a long way. And it makes people feel, you know, feel valued. Um, but I think most of all is, is folks want to feel that sense of belonging. They want to serve something that's bigger than themselves. Uh, and I think that's why, you know, people get attract, attracted to, to this particular mission. Yeah. All right. Well, Josh Ray, thanks for joining us. That's The Cyberwire. For links to all of today's stories, check out our daily briefing at thecyberwire.com. The Cyberwire podcast is proudly produced in Maryland out of the startup studios of Data Tribe, where they're co-building the next generation of cybersecurity teams and technologies. Our amazing Cyberwire team is Liz Irvin, Elliot Peltzman, Trey Hester, Brandon Karf, Eliana White, Peru Prakash, Justin Sabi, Tim Nodar, Joe Kerrigan, Carol Terrio, Ben Yellen, Nick Vilecki, Gina Johnson, Bennett Moe, Chris Russell, John Petrick, Jennifer Iben, Rick Howard, Peter Kilpie, and I'm Dave Bittner. Thanks for listening. We'll see you back here tomorrow. Thank you.